0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 20th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The Right to Try movement on behalf of patients who would like to use non-FDA-approved therapies got a shot in the arm with a mention in the State of the Union address. But was it just a throwaway line? Christina Sandifer of the Goldwater Institute hopes not. We spoke earlier this month. Right to Try is the notion that uh, people with serious illnesses uh, should be able to to use experimental medications to try to treat their illnesses when essentially most other things have failed. Um, and then Donald Trump, it seems out of nowhere, uh, says in the State of the Union address, yeah, let's try this out, let's, well, let's advance the ball here. Where does that stand now? And, and uh, is this the highest profile mm-hmm. mention of that idea?
1: It absolutely is. You know, it 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 was really an exciting culmination for the movement. This is at its very essence a state movement, a grassroots patient and doctors effort. Uh, right to Try has passed in 38 states with overwhelming bipartisan support. And so to get a mention by the president in the state of the union, when of over 7,000 pending bills in Congress, this is the only bill Uh, that the president mentioned in the State of the Union address, Uh, I think think that is a huge victory for patients, doctors, policymakers who really want to protect this fundamental right on behalf of patients. Um, I think it came out of the vice president's work. Um, He, you know, Vice President Pence, when he was governor, signed a right to try law uh, into law in Indiana, and has been an advocate for the movement ever since. So it's it's really a great testament to federalism to see this statewide, bipartisan movement make its way to Washington D.C.
0: Now I am uh, a little bit skeptical of it, only because uh, having watched far too many states of the union address, um, the uh, it, it, the president in in all these cases will throw out an idea, and then nothing happens, essentially. And you, you don't believe that this is one of those?
1: Well, I sure hope not. Um, you know, this the right to try made its way to the Senate last year. The United States Senate in August passed right to try unanimously during a time when it was hard to get even Senate Republicans to agree on anything about health care. Uh, they passed right to try unanimously. Uh, it is now sitting in the House and so, I, I, you know, I think it is very clear uh, that, that these changes and these reforms are really inevitable. Patients have wanted this for decades. They have been begging Washington for decades. The FDA hasn't listened. Congress hasn't listened. And so they went to the states. And this state movement uh, has has really grown just unbelievably in the last four years. So I think the president taking note of of this um, is significant. I hope that it means that, that the movement's going to move, move forward, but I, I really think that it has to. I think it has nowhere else to go. Um, this is almost the de facto law of the land in every single state.
0: And even if it is uh, merely a president recognizing some momentum, that's sort of the, the key attribute of a politician is the ability to recognize when something is moving and then jump out ahead of it and pretend to be leading it.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. We, we would like to see some of our leaders actually um, be leaders and lead these movements. But um, but no, I, I, I think that this is absolutely a recognition that this is a movement, that this is unstoppable. Um, you know, And again, I, I think it really is something that is a great illustration of the sort of federalism that our founders conceived of, right? That they didn't expect that every single policy change was going to start in Washington, D.C. This is something that really did start in the states. And um, and it it is a victory in and of itself for patients to be able to be recognized in the State of the Union because they have been pounding on Washington's doors for decades and have gotten little to no recognition. However, we don't want to stop there, right? I mean, the the mention in the State of the Union is fantastic, um, but now we need to see everybody follow through and make this law.
0: So there are some related issues. You talk about uh, federalism um, and uh, the right to try and having states sort of lead the way on pushing for that. But there is a, there is a related issue of physicians within states being able to prescribe or recommend uh, off uh, non-approved uses for certain drugs. And where does that stand?
1: Yeah, that's right. This is another movement that that we've seen the states really take up. Uh, currently, under federal law, uh, it is perfectly lawful for treatments uh, for for physicians to treat what we call off-label. So, this is a medicine that is fully FDA approved. Unlike right to try, where this is experimental medication, under off-label, it's a fully FDA approved treatment. But it's used to treat either a disease or a patient population, or perhaps it's used in a different dosage than the FDA has approved. And under federal law, that is perfectly legal for a physician to treat a patient with an off-label treatment. And in fact, it's quite common. About one in every five treatments are off-label. It's extremely common in oncology. The paradox in the law is that while physicians can treat off-label and patients can take off-label treatments... um, Pharmaceutical companies can't talk about it. They can't share. They are barred by federal law from sharing truthful, scientific information about off-label uses for FDA-approved drugs. So if I, as a pharmaceutical company, the one with the most knowledge about my product, know that a cancer drug for one type of cancer is also showing great promise in treating another type of cancer. I can't tell a physician about that. I can't tell a physician about the uses, about the dosages. I can't tell a physician about the risks of of using that product off-label. That is completely barred under something that we're referring to as the FDA gag rule. And so as a result, doctors are not fully informed about treatment options that are out there for their patients. Patients are not fully informed. Um, uh, Insurance companies don't know about off-label uses and oftentimes will reject coverage deny coverage for treatments that are perfectly lawful and that could help a patient simply because they don't have the information and so it is it is absolutely essential that we step up and protect the right to share that truthful information about lawful practices and treatments Uh, again this is something where we've seen little to no federal movement in uh, decades, uh, we keep seeing the FDA propose changes to the way it deals with off-label communications. Those rules inevitably get delayed and uh, and get tied up in bureaucratic red tape and nothing changes. So in following in the footsteps of Right to Try, we've seen states now step up and pass laws to try to protect these off-label communications. The state of Arizona last year passed the free speech and medicine act which was drafted by the Goldwater Institute where I work and it passed unanimously through the Arizona legislature republicans and democrats alike signed on and the governor signed it into law and now we are seeing a handful of other states uh, states like Colorado and Missouri introducing similar laws this session uh, and again we're hoping that you know that this will spur movement in Washington to fix some of these these Bureaucratic problems that just seem to run on autopilot out here, without actually taking into account the real-life effects that these regulations are having on patients.
0: And for uh, dedicated listeners of the Cato Daily Podcasts, a conversation that I had with uh, Howard Root uh, last year, uh, late last year, uh, that was essentially what kicked off a uh, years-long investigation and and criminal and civil trials over. uh, the uh product that his company had uh promoted not for the uh, off-label use but for uh other uses that the uh, the feds were tr- essentially trying to pin on him
1: yeah and and howard root is is a great example of you know, just a very a medical innovator. His company came up with this idea to treat varicose veins. Uh, it used to be a very invasive procedure for patients. They found a way to do it uh, with essentially a pinprick Um, and remove these offending veins, and Howard Root has the product that that was in question by the FDA that that was being communicated about. We're talking about a couple of people that worked for his company that were sharing, again, truthful information about these products. The products were approved. Uh, No patient had ever been harmed, and I think it was under, the product represented under 1% of the company's total sales or something like that, and yet the FDA went after not only these sales representatives, but all the way up to the CEO, up to Howard, it took $25 million uh, and and 120-some lawyers to fight the FDA. Ultimately, they were vindicated. Howard was vindicated. Um, but, you know, he, he decided he didn't want to operate in such a, a risky environment when anything you say, when, when speaking the truth, can literally make you into a criminal. And so he sold his company, and now what he does, he's been at the Cato Institute talking about what he's experienced. And this is why we need to reform these laws, both right to try and off-label communications, uh, because when we have a country where the federal government criminalizes innovators who are helping patients, uh, at the end of the day, the people who are really going to suffer are those patients.
0: And uh, is it, I would assume that, that, that this creates a, something of a chilling effect for researchers who want to work with doctors, who want to work with patients, who want to work with insurance companies to try to find options that perhaps could dramatically lower the cost of certain uh, correcting certain problems
1: oh it absolutely does you know insurance companies are willing to pay for treatments that are off label they're willing to pay for treatments that are experimental sometimes if they know about those treatments and they know that the, that could be the best option for the patient or the lowest cost option um, but when they don't have the information, then not only do we not see a cost savings there, but oftentimes people are denied access to the treatments altogether because the companies aren't willing to pay. Uh, I've talked to doctors and pharmaceutical companies that have said, you know, decades ago, they used to go to conferences, medical conferences, and they would get to know doctors and they would get to know through the doctors, the patients that were being treated and the pharmaceutical companies would listen to the doctors and they would offer up solutions and information, they would sit together and collaborate and talk about ways that they can help patients um, with innovative treatments. And nowadays, everybody, you're absolutely right when you say a chilling effect, everybody's afraid to have those conversations. You feel like when a doctor asks you a simple question about a treatment, you feel like you need to have a lawyer in the room to make sure that what you're saying doesn't violate federal law, even though all the information is truthful and scientific and it's about lawful treatments. And this chilling effect absolutely is uh, its crushing innovation in this country and, it, and it's harming patients.
0: Where do the challenges to what you call the FDA's gag rule, where do they stand now?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Over the past couple of decades, this gag rule has been challenged in court time and time again. And every single time that 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 this gag rule gets challenged in court. The, the courts actually rule in favor of free speech. They rule in favor of the companies and the doctors and the patients and the sharing of information. And every time the FDA, to avoid any kind of meaningful precedent here, takes some kind of step um, either to moot the case or to settle with the drug company. They'll tell the drug company that, you know, uh, we'll, we'll allow you to make this one-off label communication uh, as long as this case goes away, right? And we don't we don't have to litigate it anymore. And so as a result of this constant settlement or ignoring uh, what courts are telling the FDA, we have a situation um, where we are still have great uncertainty and companies are afraid to speak. And so that's why um, the Free Speech and Medicine Act exists. That's why we see states starting to pass these laws, because the states are stepping up. They're speaking out on behalf of patients and doctors and medical professionals and saying that we're going to protect the right to share truthful information within our state. Uh, And the more states that do that, then the more information that's going to be protected and the more likely that Washington will pay attention and will either see some sort of court case eventually make its way up to the United States Supreme Court where the decision can be decided once and for all, uh, or we'll hopefully see Congress take some action uh, or the FDA itself to eliminate this gag rule once and for all and allow patients doctors pharmaceutical companies to share information about these products.
0: Is there any effort within the FDA to in in these kinds of cases just uh decide we're just or I mean to get just to get out of the way or is yeah. statute are they bound by statute to stay in the way?
1: Well there is, there is a statute um in fact the the statute does not directly deal with Uh, with this issue, the statute makes it a crime to misbrand uh, a drug or a device. And the way that the FDA interprets that is to say that, well, if you're speaking about uh, an off-label treatment, a treatment that that isn't approved, even though that's lawful conduct, we're going to consider that evidence of the crime of misbranding. And so it's within the FDA's power to rescind that Uh, you know, and not not to enforce the law that way. I think um, there's reason to be cautiously optimistic. The FDA has a relatively new commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, and he has spoken publicly about the problems that he sees with this FDA gag rule. He he doesn't call it that, of course, but uh, and he said that he thinks that the FDA needs to seriously reevaluate its off-label communications policy. Uh, So I hope that that Plus, the movement we're seeing in the States and the movement we're seeing on Right to Try. I hope that will be enough pressure. Um, and that there will be some serious discussions about making those reforms within the FDA. Frankly, I'd like to see Congress act here. Uh, It's easier for the FDA to act, and the FDA can act quickly, but the problem is we may not always have a commissioner like Scott Gottlieb at the helm, and when somebody else comes in, it would be all too easy to turn around and crack down again on these off-label communications, which ultimately will result in more uncertainty for companies, and the chilling effect will ensue. If Congress changes the law and clarifies that this type of communication is lawful and protected speech, I think that that would go a long way to helping patients because you won't have that uncertainty and concern about legal liability. People won't be afraid that they'll end up like Howard Root, millions of dollars uh, into litigation against the FDA.
0: Christina Sandifer is Executive Vice President at the Goldwater Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.